Hi, this is IR Radio's Carol Miller from Q1043 in New York. Our friends from England, Nigel Pierce and Alan Thompson, give us a bit of real local British radio with our series. Here's the second part of their interview with the original drummer for the Beatles, Pete Best, on UK Radio. Yeah, my Bonnie from uh, the Beatles, from the very early days. And uh, Pete, uh, I must ask you about your time with uh, Tony Sheridan because a few years ago, Keith Skews of the BBC, who will be listening to this programme, by the way, uh, Keith uh, and I put together a programme called Rock Around the Block and uh, it encompassed the early days of what uh, the uh, the Beatles were doing at that time when you were still uh, with them, as it were. Um, as Nigel said, one of the biggest regrets I've got is the fact we couldn't get Tony Sheridan in time for the programme when we were recording. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, he passed away. And that's one of the biggest regrets I've actually got in my entire broadcasting career, which goes back some uh, oh, nearly five decades uh, now altogether. All what was Tony like to uh, to work with? Very charismatic, talent. Um, you know, I'm glad he actually played the, you know, the long version of my bunny, as I call it, because it... It shows off Tony's dulcet tones on the intro. You know, when it just starts and it gets counted in. Mm. To me, that's chopped a big part of my bonnie house. But going back to your original question, very charismatic. He was a brilliant guitarist and a brilliant frontline singer. You know, um, we had the pleasure of, you know, he was one of our idols, I suppose, out of all the English idols. He was the one, of course, when we were in Germany and we found out we were playing at the Kaiser Keller and the Grosser Freiheit. And Tony Sheridan was top of the bill at the top ten club on the on the Reaper Barn, no more than two hundred yards around the corner. We used to run like hell to watch his performance, you know, in our breaks, and then dash back again to the Kaiser Keller. And it was consequently because of those breaks and going dashing there to see him that we got employed by Peter Eckhorn to play with Tony Sheridan. And uh, but playing with him, um, he became a father figure for so many kids and bands that came from Liverpool and I suppose the rest of England to Germany especially to Hamburg you know the the floodgates opened in Hamburg Mm. lots of the English bands came over predominantly initially you know the Liverpool bands and most of the kids held Tony in total awe respected him as a musician respected him as a guitarist expected him as a singer they were just mesmerised by him. Well, that's a very interesting story, and obviously one that I had read myself, um, Pete, because obviously having read the Alan Williams book, The Man Who Gave the Beatles Away, and a few others mm-hmm. as well, um, I can relate to that. Although I wasn't there, I can understand what you're saying, because obviously um, reading knowing about it and saying being this lifelong Beatles fan, the Beatles themselves are very special to me. But we live in... East Anglia, and a lot of people don't realise that he was actually born in Norwich. So he, he wasn't was, yeah. he wasn't right. born too far from us. We know he went to um, University College in Norwich, and there is a campaign here um, um, to try and get him a blue plaque on the wall where he was born and where he lived. Um, he deserved it. He deserved it. Well, maybe we'll talk about that. We're not trying to get you involved with the, with the campaign. It's just some of the things that uh, we're trying to do. But the point is, you're not the only person that has said that about Tony. You've worked with him. You played with him. You gigged with him. You were with him in front of an audience. So, therefore, uh, the question I was going to ask you is, he was that good. Did you somehow feel, though, that the two of you might have to part and go different ways because he was possibly a different style or, or, or whatever? It's an interesting question. I don't think anybody's ever asked you because... Yeah, 
I suppose I can throw that back to what Bert Kemp for them visits for us. You know, he was the D&R man, um, you know, was the big German empresario from yep. Polydor who basically signed us up. Now, he envisaged the Beatles recording by themselves, but he also envisaged the Beatles back in Tony Sheridan because that's what he'd seen on stage, that's what he'd heard on stage. And I suppose that's what his future foresight as regards records and public performances, that to him was utopia. You know, he couldn't get in any better than that. What happened was, because we were commuting backwards and forwards to Liverpool, it became increasingly more difficult to record, you know, go over there and record. We could only record there with Tony when we were playing there, you know, for a season. So consequently, Tony started to, you know, play with other musicians on record. Hence you get all the confusion about the Beat Brothers. Yep. Who millions of people think were the Beatles were then found out many, many years afterwards. No. <coughs> it was another bunch of guys. It wasn't the Beatles. Um, and consequently, I suppose, the iconic path that the Beatles took. You know, I mean, when you think about it, 62, back end of 62, you know, by the middle of 63, they were nearly the icons of the music industry. By the time they reached the American shores in 64, Beatlemania had basically surpassed the world. Mm. Tony was part of that, but he couldn't join it. You know, and I, I suppose that maybe a few people don't know this. We did ask him to join us. Yeah, yeah I, I, know, do. That, I do, yeah. I do, I do. Okay, um, and he basically turned around and said, no, I want to pursue my own career. You know, so there's a possibility, you know, if Tony had accepted, there would have been another Beatle. There wasn't, and Tony went on to carve out a fantastic, you know, solo career for himself. It, he did indeed, and I've got a lot of his recordings, uh, including some of the last ones he made in, or the, the better ones he made in the mid '80s. Um, a very, very talis, uh, talented man, a very charismatic man, as you say. What I'd like to do um, is play another track that extols Tony's um, vocals to a, a far greater extent than your um, compliments for the full version of My Bonnie. I want to play the record. Why? Now, before I play it. Um, what do you remember about that record? The reason I ask is because that song is so completely different from all the other titles that you recorded around that time. It's got a different feel, different play. So have you got any special memories of that song? Yeah, if I remember right, Tony wrote this. It was one of his uh, early, early songs. And, um, you know, even though we were a full-fledged madhouse rock and roll band on stage for many, many hours, there were times in the show when we used to pull it down. You know, it had to be a romantic interlude somewhere along the line mm -hmm. for the German audiences to get up and snog with one another and to do whatever they had to do. <laughs> and give us a break as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Tony would come up with this. And it became, I suppose, by the time we'd put the harmonies behind it, because, you know, he used to sing it without harmonies, and then, you know, the harmonies are particularly special on it. They you know, are. The back, backing ground, uh, with the Beatles with the backing group on it, the harmonies. Um, it became a very romantic number, which the audiences loved. And, of course, when Kemford heard it, and it was so different from Tony's repertoire, even though Tony's repertoire went from blues, you know, uh, take out some insurance, you name it. You know, he was so versatile. He wanted this romantic ballad, and that's how it became. Well, what, what, we're, 
Well, that's fantastic. What I'd like to do is ask you, Pete, to personally introduce it. Now, there you go. You've got these lovely memories. I'd like you to introduce the next track for us here on Teen Dreams, please, Pete. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a dear friend of mine who I had the pleasure of playing with many, many times in Germany. A wonderful songwriter, a wonderful lyricist, a wonderful romantic song, Tony Sheridan and why. Yeah, Tony Sheridan with Why. Now, I do remember him singing that, or perhaps it was lip-syncing, uh, the song on Ready, Steady, Go in 1963. So this probably would have been a, a few months or a year or so after he'd uh, originally uh, recorded it. And yeah. uh, that's, I think, you know, that, that song is just so different, isn't it, Pete, from what, it, what had happened before? It was. I mean, you could tell he still put that little snap break in the middle of it, you know, just to show people... You know, I'm still a rocker, yeah. but listen to me, you know, it's a wonderful ballad, and it, it just flows. I haven't heard it for a long time, you know, it used to be one of my favourites, and I was listening to it then with great interest and intent, because the way it flows from the snap beat back into that melodic, romantic melody, mm. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, if you haven't heard it that song, I mean, for that long, I'm I'm sorry if I've made you all emotional, but uh, it's a record, <laughs> it's a track that I play quite often, because as I said, I, I'm a Beatle fanatic, so um, and I, I do study them um, most intently because I'm finding things about all the time. It's so a great track, though. It is track. a great track, and I always thought, and I'm glad, seriously, Pete, that you've understood where I'm coming from, because although I can't play an instrument. Um, I'm still in the music business. Uh, people like yourself, you're on the recording side. We're on the technical on, on the other side. But the two of us, we need each other. Because without you, we haven't got a product. And without us, people like yourself can't get promoted. So it works both ways. <laughs> We're a good family. Yeah. That's right. And I've always thought that that record was different. And um, You carry this torch and you carry these ideals. And yet when I speak with you today, um, you've confirmed that my thoughts all those years ago were absolutely smack on the money. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of those songs, um, you know. I'm certain now people hear it on the radio and they'll go away whistling it or humming it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those songs which stays with you. It's got a great lift, it's got a great lyric. You know, there's something there which people, you know... You can. It tugs on the heartstrings. I can hear it, so can everybody else. Now, yeah. for those out there, you're listening to Teen Dreams today with yours truly, Nigel Pierce, and me, Alan Thompson, and our special guest, the one and only Pete Best. Good morning to you, or good day to you, Pete. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure to both of you. I think you're having a good time, may I say? <laughs> well, it's it's great talking to two radio stalwarts like yourself, Nigel and Alan, <laughs> and it's not raining in Liverpool, so that's a bonus. <laughs> okay, then I tell you what, when we finish, when we finish. <laughs> When we finish, we'll send out the brown paper bag and you drop the tenner in. <laughs> ah, okay. Now, um... Oh, don't give me the money yet. Don't give me the money yet. Come on. <laughs> We've got to have a sense of humour. Now, I've got to ask you one question, and um, it, it isn't meant to be emotional again. If I just say two words, mm. I'd like you to say a few words about Stuart Sutcliffe. Oh, God bless Um What can I say about him? smallest fella in the band but most probably had the biggest heart uh, I have defended his corner for many many years like myself he got panned um, for his musicianship and the only thing I can say in his, in his favour and I overstood his corner Stu was a good bass player regardless of what people turned around and said 
he was a bass player who played rock and roll the way it used to be played, which was very simple. But it was great for a drummer and the rest of the band to lock into what he played, because rock and roll in those days was very simple. You know, it was a simple format. Yep. And, um, you know, his presence on stage, he added to the charisma of the Beatles. You know, he had this James Dean look, and of course, as the world knows now, most probably when he first felt Astrid Case's presence in the club, their eyes met, he fell in love with her straight away. Yep. And the same thing happened with her, right? So consequently, Stuart never sung before. But to please his future bride, he used to sing the old Presley number, Love Me Tender. Okay, Paul would take over on the bass. And the minute that Astrid would walk into the club and sit down, she would serenade her with Love Me Tender. And that was an incredible time, you know. Apart from that, he made the conscious decision to leave the band. Because for a lot of people who don't know Stu, he was a prolific artist. You know, by artist, I mean a painter. Yep. Sketcher. I used to see him sitting in the Kaiser Keller with a sketch pad and a lump of charcoal. And he'd be drawing people. And they were absolutely fantastic. And if the people, or you haven't had a chance before it finishes... His art collection, which has toured the world and I think might be touring the world again, I'd, I'd have to check up on that. You haven't had the chance to see it, go and see it, because it epitomises what Stu's talent was. Well, thank you for that, Pete. I can hear it's tugging at the heartstrings, and it even tugs at us, because, um, as I say, I know that Pete was a prolific painter and a very talented painter, and there's lots of stories, etc., so maybe in the future you can come back again if you so feel inclined. But yeah, at my the, pleasure. So the, the point is that Stuart was died so tragically young through something that happened um, way back in Liverpool, um, which we don't want to talk about because, you know, it's not the kind of thing you do, but he left a big void. And um, there are a lot of fans out there that don't know the part that he played, and you've just extolled that. So what I'd like to do before Alan comes back with the next question mm-hmm. is to play the track Cry for a Shadow. Um, and I was talking to your, we were talking to your brother Rogue, and he told us a little bit about it. And having you here, maybe you can fill in the dots and f- cross the T's. So we'll just play "Cry for a Shadow." Uh, recorded at the time when everybody said, so who are the Beatles? That was Cry for a Shadow from, uh, I believe, 1961 from the sessions then. And, uh, Pete, I'd like to ask you, you your brother Rogue said that uh, the Beatles, or yourselves, actually recorded that as a bit of a spoof, uh, like a, a sort of Mickey take on the shadows. Is that true? Yeah, it was. Um, I had a smile on my face listening to it then because <laughs> the memories came flooding back. Um, yeah, the reason for that was... Um, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, who were a band from Liverpool, had come over to play with us in Germany at the Kaiser Keller. And they very much based themselves on Cliff Richard and the Shadows. And uh, we, it wasn't our cup of tea. But, you know, one particular day, I think it was either Frightened City or one of those early releases that Hank Marvin had done as the Shadows. And we turned around, Rory was there, and we were messing about at dinner time. And he came in and we, he turned around and said, oh, yeah, the latest, you know, record by The Shadows. And George turned around and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, can you play? So George said, of course I can, right? Hence he started twanging the, you know, the old twang arm. <laughs> we all joined in and all of a sudden this poppy little ditty materialised. 
right? And we convinced Storm that that was the latest release of Hank Marvin and the Shadows. Mm. So basically, we turned around and said, we were sure of a number, so we turned around and said, well, let's try it on the German audience. So we did. And it went down that well. You know, it was an instrumental. We didn't do that many instrumentals. We turned around and sat down after we played it. We turned around and said, okay, we've got a song which we're going to play on stage, which is well accepted. Um, Kempford likes it. We need to put a title to it. And we all came up because it had been a spoof on the shadows. Cry for a shadow. Hmm. Hence the title. I think I think yeah. it's still a very very good record. Um, it's not the shadows complete style without the tremolo arm and all the all the all the wah wahs and things. But as a piece of music, I think it stands up incredibly well. Um, it's a little bit more fierce than the shadows. Yes, you know, it is. It's it a little is. bit more raw because we put our <laughs> savageness to it. If you can understand, you know. Yeah, it we quite can. The finesse of the shadows. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's uh, we're really racking through the time today, and I, I get the impression, Pete, that you are enjoying yourself. As I know, Alan and I. Are. Um, got another question to ask you though I want to play a track that's slightly different um, I know uh-huh. you'll know about it because um, I want to go to the other incarnation of Tony Sheridan because Tony Sheridan is uh, is a man that with immense talent as you've said um, and uh, I understand he could have had the job with the shadows um, various other bits because he went down to the Two Eyes Coffee Bar in London and did various auditions and various other bits and pieces mm-hmm. but um, I just want to ask you now um it's 50-odd years. It's a lifetime away. Here we are in 2018, and yet the world still wants to clamour for information and um, new product, but there isn't any, but there is. You never know which way you look at it, about the Beatles, and obviously your part in it as well. I mean, did you ever think, when you were running around in leathers and trying to make this sound, that, yes, you may have a career, but would it last 50 years? And how does it feel to you now looking back well i suppose the honest answer to that is at that time personally no it was like good god almighty we become the icons of the music industry you know and live for decades afterwards no our sights at that time were yes we were ambitious we wanted a record at the top of the english hit parade and that was as big as we wanted to get we conquered the world if we did that mm. because as history portrays now they did more than that they actually conquered the world but at that stage even though we had the, the war cry on stage, which, you know, John, when we used to get a little bit frustrated and tired and down at mouth, you know, after the long hours we were playing, he'd rally us up on stage and say, and say where are we going, guys? And we'd all shout out, to the toppermost of the poppermost. <laughs> now, that was the fun phrase, but my God almighty, 50 years afterwards, it's still happening. Yeah. And that is the incredible thing about it. Now, I know that you're actually talking to us today from your brother Rogue's uh, marvellous museum, the um, Magical History Tour um, Museum, etc. How's it going up there? Oh, it's great. The Magical Beatles Museum, as we've renamed it now. Oh, you renamed it again, have you? Okay, fair enough. (laughs) uh, We have to get Beatles in there, you know. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a PR promotional activity. And it was very much a case of uh, we opened it up in July end of july it's been open about four months and uh, we're very proud to say it, it's doing very well you know we're looking for we're running towards the end of the season now we're approaching christmas um but next year we're all geared for one hell of a season which will start most probably around about march and april and uh you know we keep adding to it that's the incredible thing i think if you talk to rogue 
Yeah, we did. The plans he's got for it. You know, we've got nearly 300 artefacts. They're all authentic, they're original, you know, they're from our own personal memoirs, um, from his dad's personal memoirs, my mother's personal memoirs, my personal memoirs, Rogue's collection. And we've got plans, you know, so it, it's not just a case if you do come to the museum, we hope the world does. You know, don't come and think, oh, I've seen it all and never come no. back again. Because mm, no. each year there's an intention at the end of every year, not next year because we've only just opened, but the consequent years, uh, we'll change 25% of the artefacts, mm. so there's always something new for the punters coming through the door. Yeah. Now, now um, I have to say, as you obviously know, we, Alan and I, we had a marvellous interview with your brother, Rogue, <laughs> um, a couple of months ago. We're still laughing over it because it was just like yours today. It was full of fun and humour. <laughs> And I think it's the best way. Yeah, that's right. But you know, um, as Rogue said, it doesn't usually find two radio presenters on the same wavelength. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rogue has invited us up there, and we have said that we would come, love to come, and obviously we'd like you to be there as well. Because um, Alan and I have been talking. Maybe we can do an interview and do something with you, and um, maybe even video it or something. The things are things are coming running through my head. But we will be coming up. So. Um, um, I know Alan's looking forward to it, and so will I. But what I'd like to do is, whereabouts is the museum? It's right, not far from the cavern, is it? No, it's Matthew Street. Um, the cavern's at the top end on the left-hand side. If you come up Matthew Street, and we're on the bottom end. Basically next door to the grapes. To the grapes, Can't I will. <laughs> now then, um, let's, let's, do the, let's finish the commercial. <laughs> let, let's, you see, you understand. What's the website? Where's the website, uh, Pete? It's now Magical Beatles Museum, and the website's up and running, so all the information and future dates and plans and insights into what the policy of the museum is, it's all available now. Right, I'm going to hand the next question over to Alan, because we've got a track, and I've done it on purpose, that's really finished and a little bit different. So, Alan? Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, Pete, obviously people have come from all over the world already to uh, mm -hmm. see the museum. Is there still a thirst for knowledge in Liverpool itself? Funnily enough, yes. Yeah. You know, we, we initially thought, you know, it is going to be a museum which the people of Liverpool, because they've grown up with it, um, won't be interested. But we've been pleasantly surprised. You know, the, the interest as a museum, not so much because it's Beatles, because it's a musical museum as well. Yeah. The interest is phenomenal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, OK, now what I'd like to do is play a little bit of the next track because it's not a true Beatles as such, it's one of the incarnations of Tony Sheridan, but I'd like to play a little bit of this track, and let's have your thoughts on it, Pete. I'd like to play his version of the all-time great Ruby Baby. Well, there we go, Pete. I think that really does extol even that little bit there of Tony Sheridan's massive vocal style, doesn't it? It does. I mean, he could basically sing anything in a nutshell. Um, you know, from blues to country and western to jazz, you name it. There's a cross-section of a, an old country and western number, which he's put his own feel to it. And, uh, you know, it stands up. It sure does. It, it sure a, does. It sure picture does. of his greatness. That's all I can, you know, that's the best way of expression. Now, Pete, we've only got about a minute, minute, no, two minutes to go, so we'll finish off with a little bit of a chat. First of mm -hmm. all, um, thank you very much for cutting out the time today. We know it's been a little bit of a problem us getting in touch with you, etc., etc. <laughs> but again, that's the music business, man. That's the way it goes. You know, you wait on the corner, you wait on the corner, and you find you're on the wrong corner. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've felt that. Yeah, I've been through that one. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so. Uh, 
I'd like to have you back again. I know Alan would, because what we'd like to do next time is probably talk about some time with Alan Williams and all the other times that were happening. You, you, what we've done today, we've painted a picture. We've got a pastiche today. Mm. Um, maybe, if you're agreeable, we can have you back and uh, we can harmonise it a little bit more and talk about the jacaranda, talk about the cavern, talk about the iron door. There's just so much that an hour isn't isn't long enough but at the same time we do understand you know the fact that you've got to cut the time out so first of all <laughs> i hope that you've enjoyed yourself man because we have <laughs> you've brought back some wonderful memories i've been popping around the office here listening to some of the old stuff and uh, i hope we can do it again i really do right well first of all i'm going to say goodbye and leave the final words with alan um can you please pass on our regards to rogue I most certainly will. And uh, we will be up. Um, so in, it'll be in the new year, but we will be coming up. So, Alan, it's over to you. And thanks once again, Pete. Thanks again, Nigel. OK, Pete. And from me, um, if it's not too early to say, a very Merry Christmas to all of you there in Liverpool. And uh, also the happiest of New Year's. And let's hope 2019 is really going to be a bumper one where the museum's concerned. I'll, I'll drink to that one. OK, okay. and here's to the new year. Seeing you and to the museum as well. Well, seeing as Alan's stolen the mark, I'm going to say it. Happy Christmas to you, my old buddy. <laughs> <laughs> OK, as we turn around and say here, cheers and bums up. <laughs> In that case, then, we'll say goodbye. Monday you go, Pete. Thank you very much. Cheers, then. Ta-da. Bye-bye. That was Nigel Pierce with Alan Thompson speaking with original Beatle drummer Pete Best. We'll have more authentic British radio for you next time on UK Radio.